0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's late in the day on Monday, February the 6th, 2023. Uh, Most of you are going to listen to this uh, on February the 7th, and in fact, the Gentleman that I'm talking to today is already on Tuesday, uh, February the 7th. He's ahead of us in many ways, both in time and perhaps in thought. He's in Australia. We're ending the day in the same way we began it. Uh, Earlier today, I talked to Farah Yasmin Obadullah, a climate activist and someone who has a great deal of passion for the ocean. She has a new book out, The Ocean and Us, and it's a book about how the ocean is broken. Uh, We are ending the day on a broader scale with my guest, um, Julian Cribb, uh, um, an uh, an environmental activist based in Canberra, Australia, has a blog out. He's quite pessimistic in many ways. He came out with a blog uh, in November last year, with the headline, The World Votes for Climate Hell. And his book, which is just out in the United States, How to Fix a Broken Planet, Advice for Surviving the 21st Century, also treats the world in a rather pessimistic way. And there's a connection also in um, his view on the broken planet and the oceans. As I said, Julian is joining us from Canberra. Uh, Julian, uh, welcome. I'm sure you're not familiar with... uh, this new, uh, the, the new book uh, by uh, uh, Farah Abadullah, The Ocean and Us. But I know you make the ocean an important piece in both the way in which our planet is broken and perhaps fixing it. So perhaps we could begin there.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I may say that this book is not my opinion. This book is the collected opinion of the world's best scientists. Okay, I'm a science writer. I've been writing about science for nigh on 50 years. Um, And over the last 25 years, I've been meeting more and more depressed scientists about what they were reading when they were studying, you know, ecology, when they were studying climate, when they were studying the oceans. They all could see the data they were collecting every day was telling them that the Earth is going to hell in a handcart. And that was troubling them very much. Now, I didn't know whether they were right or wrong. But in several books, I decided to I check up and I would see what the experts worldwide were saying. And this book is the seventh in a series I've written on the great human emergency, uh, which is the biggest threat to our existence that we have ever faced, that we've faced in the last million years. Um, and very few people recognise this threat at the moment. We've mostly heard of climate change, but there are nine other mega threats that combine with climate change. And the ocean is affected by many of those threats. It's being poisoned. It's, uh, oxygen, it's losing its oxygen. It's uh, losing its ability to soak up carbon dioxide. Uh, we've overfished it. We're pouring our pollutants into it, you know, like there's no tomorrow, like plastic and so forth. So we're, we're damaging, contaminating the, the whole of ocean life at the moment. So the ocean is in a pretty bad way. But because we can't really see into it very clearly, it's out of sight, out of mind. That's the problem that the ocean has got. Uh,
0: This issue of the existential threat to the planet is one we talked about a number of times on the show before, one with the historian Michael Bess, who identifies climate, pandemics, artificial intelligence, and nuclear as the four great uh, reasons for our planet being in peril. Uh, he, he He talks about humanity's four greatest challenges and how we can overcome them. Would you, um, would you add to that climate, pandemic, uh, AI and nuclear? Uh, what, what, other art- what other existential
1: threats, Julian, would you add to those for? Well, the food supply is increasingly shaky. I mean, we're running out of topsoil, running out of fresh water to grow crops worldwide, and we've got the climate changing on top of that. So you know, we might just run out of food as well. And our megacities do not grow any of their own food. They rely on a very fragile system. So food is is one of them. Resource scarcity. We're running into hellish resource scarcities. Um, I've already mentioned fish and that in the context of the ocean, but we're running out of fresh water worldwide. There is a worldwide freshwater shortage at the moment. It, it may not apply to everybody, but it is getting very bitter in certain parts of the world. Forests. We're running out of forests. You know, so you can you can go on with all of these. Um, global poisoning is a threat that nobody recognizes. This is the, the, the combined release of all the chemicals that humans stir up when they produce things and when they when they create things. Uh, it's 200 billion tons a year of chemicals that we release into the biosphere. and these are having a very toxic effect not only on ourselves. they're damaging our brains for example, but you know on all life on the planet. Um, currently, Around about 13.7 million people die every year as a result of chemical poisoning in their environment. Now, that's World Health Organization figures. That's not my figures. So, a quarter of human deaths are now down to chemical poisoning. So, this is a much bigger problem than climate, but nobody recognizes it. So, these it's are interesting,
0: examples- uh, Julian. And I'm not challenging you, but, it, but there's a certain sort of contradiction in what not what you're saying, but a contradiction between two things you're saying. You're saying on the one hand that this isn't your opinion, that you spoke to many of the best scientists around the world, and they're all uh, in concert. They all agree that the planet is broken. And yet, as you say, most people don't seem to know it. Is there some sort of disconnect between what scientists know and what they're researching and what the rest of the world believes, or are we just conveniently ignoring it because it's such a daunting problem and we all have to deal with our day-to-day issues, so we just don't have the time or energy to really address these huge existential threats.
1: Well, all of the above, Andrew, you're you're perfectly correct. Um, The scientists have been working on this for a long time. I mean, we know the climate data is well over 50 years old, though they've been shouting warnings at us and we've been studiously ignoring them. but, you know, so the, there is the, the lack of awareness. There's the, you know, look, people focusing on their daily lives and not wanting to know about the big problems. But if they don't, that's going to affect their lives and it's going to affect their grandchildren. So we're all got to wake up fairly soon um, because it's coming down, whether we like it or not. It's going to happen to us. It could crash our civilization. Um, some people think it could even crash our species. Uh, So, you know, it's about time we actually fixed it. And it can be fixed. My book is all about the fixes. But I want to get to
0: the fixes. Uh, I'm curious. Do you think we need a science party? We had a a technocratic writer, Salim Ali, on the show last year talking about the need for a science party to confront the kind of existential problems that you're discussing. Is the problem in part, um, Julian, politics, the politicians are too short-term, too lazy, too ignorant, too irresponsible to, to, to address these issues?
1: Yeah, well, politicians, and I, I worked for many years as a journalist in our federal parliament in Australia, and I've met politicians and legislators all around the world. Um, yeah, they do tend to focus on the here and now, on what the opinion polls are telling them, and they're not interested in the longer-term future. So there is a blind spot uh, in politics, in, the, in the, the way we do politics worldwide, whether we're talking about democracies or autocracies, they're all equally blind. They're looking out for tomorrow, but not down, you know, a year. Right, some years. people
0: would suggest that the Chinese model of a kind of enlightened autocracy, if that's an appropriate description, that that might be a better political system uh, to, to address existential threat than democracy. Is, is there any truth to that?
1: Uh, probably not, because although the Chinese have a centrally planned economy, and it's got some, some downsides as well as some upsides, um, you know, the Japanese look, you know, 30 years ahead as well. So, you know, you don't have to be an autocracy to, to, to look far ahead. In, in, you know, you can have an intelligent democracy. Um, one of the things we haven't mentioned, and it's one of the mega threats that I identify, is misinformation. And there is an absolute ocean of misinformation being churned out by lie factories which are mainly owned by the fossil fuels lobby, um, and they're churning out the, the, the speaking notes for politicians worldwide. They, they control the debate in our parliaments worldwide, and you know, that's causing people to be confused. So this is confusing the media. It's confusing the people as to what are the real issues. They're trying to distract attention from these issues in order to make more money at whatever it is they're doing, drilling for oil or something like that. Uh, while it, it, basically ignoring the threat that they're creating. And this is a very alarming thing. So, our blindness, our collective blindness um, towards these mega threats is likely to land us in a lot of trouble. It's likely to disable us in terms of developing a plan for human survival, which is what my book is all about.
0: I, I know you also consider, and, and we've done shows on this, uh, the word existential threat perhaps might be overused from time to time, particularly in the publishing business, but that big tech has an existential threat to our privacy and liberty. Is this bound up in the peril to the planet um, that you describe in your book, uh, Julian?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, Artificial intelligence is is taking off like wildfire at the moment. And who knows where it's going to go? But it's going to take away a lot of people's freedoms. Um uh, particularly global surveillance. It's becoming possible now to spy on every human being from birth to death using various online monitoring uh, you know, and and you know TV cameras and things like this. Uh, so people that whether they're governments or corporations, are collecting data on everybody at the moment, and they know more about you than you know about yourself. Um, so you know that is a a very disabling technology because if you think about it, The world has always progressed by radicals, you know, whether it was Nelson Mandela or Jesus Christ or so. talking, speaking out against the trends that were going on. Uh, And, you know, those people will be silenced in future if if there is global surveillance. That's the trouble. The warning voices will not be heard. Voices like mine and so on will be silenced by this trend. So that to me is a very deep concern, um, but it's not one that's been much discussed worldwide.
0: Speaking of people, Julian, to add to our doom and gloom at the end of Monday, uh, February the 6th, we've got too many people. You write about the population bomb. Is this another of our existential crises, that there are simply too many of us?
1: Yes, uh, the the world is about four times overpopulated. Uh, If you go back to when I was born, there were 2.5 billion people. There's now 8 billion people. Uh, We have basically, you know overstock the planet. Any sheep farmer will tell you, if you try and keep 2,000 sheep in a paddock that's big enough for 500, you're going to have a disaster on your hands. Well, that's what's happening with our entire planet now. And there's lots of science to evidence that, you know, we're, we're throwing, cutting down the big forests and trying to replace them with farms. We're creating deserts like you wouldn't believe. So yes, we have overpopulated, but yes, there is an answer to that. And we can voluntarily reduce the human population to a sustainable level. And there are a number of things that happen. We have to change the food supply and make food renewable. Uh, not so let's get yeah,
0: well, we're going to get to your fixes. But when you put all these things together, you've come up with an interesting word, uh, catastrophe in age. Is that the age we live in? Is that your
1: term? And does it replace the Anthropocene age? Yes, it does. Uh, I, I mean, uh, yes, it is my term. But as a journalist, I know you, you, you create a journal- new term,
0: Julian. You you must be very popular at cocktail parties.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, you create a new word and people want to know what it means. But yes, we, we are entering an age of catastrophes. And any scan of the nightly news will tell you that, you know, climate is going to hell in a handcart. Bad things are happening with the environment generally, with the oceans, with things like that. So we are surrounded by catastrophes that simply weren't there twenty or thirty or fifty years ago. So we are facing a lot of very dangerous situations, and we need to do something about it. We need a plan. Okay. Well, I actually,
0: as as it happens, I wrote a book a few uh, about four or five years ago called "How to Fix the Future." I don't know if you came across that one, but your book is called How to Fix a Broken Planet. So we know now, Julian, we're convinced that the planet is broken on many different levels, environmentally, politically, technologically, in terms of population, um, the, the, the Earth, the ocean, everywhere. How are we going to begin to fix it? Because the problems that you've outlined seem really daunting.
1: They are really daunting, but the antidote to depression and anxiety is action. Once you start taking a little bit of action in your own life, you cheer up immediately. Um, so, so, you know, let's not get depressed about these things. It's not the end of the road. If we take action, we can save ourselves. If we don't take action, we're in a hell of a lot of trouble. That's that's the point. Uh, there are actions to take. They are easy. They are feasible. They don't require new science and technology. Um, they are all doable but we have to have a consensus among the humans on this planet that this is what we're going to do. And let right, let it- you
0: have a nice phrase, think like a human, act like a species, but humans think differently. Um, not everyone is even going to agree with you, uh, Julian, on this front. I mean, what do, how do you respond to the 30 or 40% of people who simply don't buy what you're saying?
1: Well, I, I couldn't care whether people agree with me or not, but they should consult their own self-interest and say, is it good for me that the food supply collapses? Is it good for me that the climate goes to hell? Is it good for me that the air and the water and the food become so poisonous uh, that, that I'm getting sick all the time? People just simply need to ask themselves that question. They don't need to ask me that question. I'm just we putting this... A, we in did the-
0: a show with um, an Australian philosopher, actually, on how to be a good ancestor, which assumes that, we have children or we think in ancestral terms, what about people who would say, well, uh, in terms of my self-interest, this is probably not going to happen for 20 years. I've got 20, 30 years left on earth. I'm going to eat and drink and, and have sex and have a lot of fun. I'm not too worried about what happens next.
1: Why, is it a, a, why, why should they be concerned with their own self-interest? Because they're going to create an absolute mega disaster for their descendants. Now, all right, some they people... Don't 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 have any. They don't have any kids. Why should they care? Well, if they're not having any kids that that's better and that's actually good for the planet because that's what the planet needs <laughs> the planet needs a lot less kids so you know good on them uh the, the, i mean the, one of the worst things you can do for the climate is have a kid uh you know so, all right. so but- in
0: all seriousness um you know this is daunting you, you say uh we need to think like human act like a species how are we going to come up with this plan who's going to organize it the united nations which barely knows how to organize a conference or, or a plenary session, let alone a plan to save the planet.
1: In, in that case, you're saying that humans are not an intelligent species. And, and well, they, well, well, you given know, what saying,
0: we haven't behaved yeah. very intelligently over the last 100 years. you may be, There may be some truth to that.
1: You were spot on, yeah. Uh, look, if we want to survive, we will do things differently. An Earth system treaty, which is something that we all agree to, not just countries, because countries are small and irrelevant in the world of the future. But individuals, well, we need a treaty that everyone can sign up to if they wish. And that treaty has 10 main points, which are the points in, listed in my book, about what we've got to do. Get rid of nuclear weapons, you know? They are very stupid things. You know, we, we've got to basically, we've got to get rid of fossil fuels. They are very stupid and dangerous things. So you know, when we do all of these things together, even if it's only a majority of us, then the world would start to come come good again.
0: I mean, there obviously, I respect you, your 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 commitment to this, but it doesn't sound very serious. I mean, the idea of just dismissing countries is absurd. How are you going to get, for example, the Chinese and the Americans, who seem to be at each other's throats these days, over? relatively small things how are you going to get the chinese and the americans and the russians and the iranians and the
1: saudis uh, to agree on anything they are all looking at the potential collapse of civilization look i'm not dismissing nations Uh, they exist and we've got to keep on going with them but they are an old-fashioned solution that came into being after napoleon uh, to a problem that really you know doesn't exist any longer Nations are yesterday's system of governance, self-governance for humans. And they're, they're getting overtaken they yesterday's. They, they
0: still dominate the planet. We all live in countries. We all carry passports. Governments are determined by uh, states rather than any kind of international organisation. So that's just a reality, for better or worse, isn't it?
1: No, it's not. Uh, the, the corporations now dominate the planet. There are many corporations which are much larger than most countries, and they have far more power um, and and they influence the fate of humans. And furthermore, they control governments. A, a great many governments, in, especially in democracies, are under the thumb of the fossil fuels lobby. For example, so you cannot say that these gov- these countries are behaving, you know, as intelligent countries. Could would you be. give an example
0: of which countries are under the thumb of which fossil fuel companies?
1: Well, the United States, Australia, Canada. Um, uh, Britain, you know, they're, they're all they're all being influenced by fossil fuels. I mean, Russia is a... That's a different
0: country. thing. I mean, fossil fuel people have a right to lobby like everybody else, don't they?
1: They do, but if it's going to destroy your grandchildren, it's probably not such a, a, a desirable thing.
0: So back to the plan, Julian. I have to say I'm not particularly convinced by this, but you have some very interesting ideas. Uh, you talk about an earth-standard currency... Ending the age of deceit, one child fewer, you sound like the Chinese communists here, renewable food, which makes sense, preventing pandemics that go without saying. I mean, where do we start here? That's the issue. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue that there is an issue, perhaps a crisis, but there has to be a beginning point.
1: We start here and now with all of the things that we can possibly do in our own lives and which our governments can do, and which our corporations can do. If if we wait to do one thing, if we we wait to fix the climate, the rest of the the catastrophic risks will get us. Okay, they're all interlinked, they have to be solved together. And the solutions must make none of them worse. That's the critical thing. It's no damn good solving the food crisis by throwing fossil fuels at it and destroying the climate that grows the food. So, you know, we we need to think these things through what what are the best solutions uh, for all of these problems? And, yeah, look, there are there are many opportunities and many of these things are already being implemented by people in their own lives by thoughtful human beings, by thoughtful groups worldwide. They're changing the system of food production. I mean, I know lots and lots of farmers who are going into regenerative agriculture. We've done a
0: number of shows on, on regenerative farming, and there's certainly some truth there, although it's still a niche business. Farming is still dominated by large corporations and large farms, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. But that, that, that's, not, that's not farming. That's, 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 that's a corporate activity basically designed to produce money, not food. And, and, and it's producing the shitty diet that is currently killing two thirds of people uh, as we speak. Um, so we, we, we do need a, a whole new approach to food based on, on nutrition, regeneration of the landscape and alternative ways to grow food. We need to grow a third of the world's food in our cities, for example.
0: All right. Well, we did a show with George Mombiat, who's very good on it. he just has a new book out Regenesis. But it's you know, while I you know, I'm sympathetic to your position, it just seems so so utopian, so unrealistic. You say we just begin, but give me some concrete ways we can begin. Ordinary people are listening to this, they're not running companies or large corporations, they don't run governments. What do we exactly do we do, Julian?
1: Well, let's start with an Earth System Treaty and a plan of action. What does that so mean? It's, 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 it's an agreement among all the people in the world who want to t- take part in it that they're going to try and fix the place. So just having an such an agreement to begin with is the first step. And then from that, you develop a plan, and the plan affects all of the 10 mega risks that I'm talking about. Uh, well, who's yeah.
0: going to come up with the plan? Is The plan itself is controversial. There are political issues on there. I, I would like I mean, to be reasons. Elon Musk
1: or yourself or the Queen of England. I, 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 who, who who has this plan? Everybody. If everybody doesn't sign up to this, then the humans are in a very bad place. Johann Karl Schellenhuber, the head of the Potsdam Institute in German Germany, said that the world's children are on a huge school bus, which is now heading towards a 98% chance of a terrible accident. Now, that's what we're facing at the moment. Do we want that to happen to our children? And if we don't, then let's do something about it.
0: So would one practical way forward on this be um, that this plan is put forward by scientists? We may not need a science party, but we need a, a petition led by the world's great scientists. They often write letters to newspapers, they put up stuff on the web. They try to lobby the United Nations. None of which seem to be particularly effective. Why would some plan they all put together have any more effect? Well,
1: it seems to me you're arguing for doing nothing, and that that's, that's no. I'm not. I'm not that. at all. I'm not <laughs> arguing
0: for doing nothing, but I don't see practically how this could work. I, I just it doesn't seem to me to be realistic. Well. It- There's going to be a
1: catastrophe anyway.
0: But but that's not the You can't keep on making that. Every time I say, well, it's impractical, you're going to say, well, there's a catastrophe. You may be right, but that doesn't make it any more practical.
1: Well, it's a question of whether it's a big catastrophe or a small catastrophe. And, and, you know, if we take action early and soon, we can overcome the things that are leading to, for example, a food system breakdown, uh, a climate breakdown. Uh, An ecological breakdown. You know, if we take action soon, we can we can fix these things uh, and keep ourselves in a survivable situation and keep our civilization going. But we're we're up against you know some some very big trends which are not being recognised at the moment. And my job as a, a science writer is to let people know what the science is saying about these things, and, you, and you're right on. You won't have a, a science party. A science party wouldn't work particularly well um, because most people don't get science anyway. It, it needs to be translated into English. And and most of them believe
0: so. I mean, as you know, in the United States, there's a huge anti-science lobby. I mean, you just have to see what's happened over COVID and shots.
1: Um, Absolutely, and that's the misinformation thing. So we need we we, we need a world system for... for uh, yeah, but cool, again, yeah. World yeah. systems yeah. to me yeah. sound just
0: an excuse for ignoring the problem because there aren't going to be any world systems. Where are they going to come from? The United Nations is increasingly irrelevant as a world organization or a, a group of uh, an institution designed to represent the world. I just don't see where it comes from. Are we going to need a serious catastrophe? Um, for this to happen? Because it doesn't seem as if in the moment, uh, Julian, anyone's really ready for it. Are we going to need a a nuclear war, for example? I mean, even on the environmental front, the chances are that this crisis will take 30 or 40 years to work itself out. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be like the earthquake that just happened today in Turkey.
1: But the water crisis is happening right now in the Middle East, in, in uh, large parts of Africa, in Central Asia, uh, in Southeast Asia, you know, in California, there's a water crisis. So that's an example of a... But I mean a, California, uh, there's a
0: water shortage, whether it's a water crisis is, again, perhaps... Maybe you're using this word crisis too, too liberally. What about the role of the market, Julian? We've had lots of debates on this show, and it's an interesting debate about whether... New technologies and new entrepreneurs can save us. Do you have any faith in that, in wind and solar and the other kinds of innovations being developed in, in all sorts of uh, innovation centers, Silicon Valley, in China, in, in, in Singapore?
1: Yes, provided that the new technologies take into account the risks. Uh, at the moment, we're inventing new technologies, um, nano products, for example without taking account of the risks. We're just releasing them you know, willy-nilly on, into the world without knowing what it's going to do to us. And, and that's pretty dangerous. So all new technologies uh, need, to, need to be scanned to see what their, what their risks are as well as their benefits. So yes, new technology has much to offer, but it's not the only solution. The markets have much to offer. It's not the only solution. The markets are gradually replacing fossil fuels with, with renewables. So that's an example. We, they, we need to replace unsustainable food with renewable food. And the markets can do that. So there's lots that the markets can do. Um, you know, so it's these are all things that humans do and do well, uh, which can lift us out of our difficulty. So
0: for people who are, and as you can tell, I, I have to admit I'm not particularly convinced by this, but for people who are convinced, well, do you have a, a world party? I mean, you talk about this uh, earth standard currency these earth earth um earth earthly organizations and, and 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 initiatives where do we start julian do you have one going should should people begin one how do they even do
1: that well <laughs> people who want to do things get them done you know one way or the other you know, no they don't
0: that. some people Just because you want to do something doesn't mean that it's doable. I would like to go to Mars tomorrow, but I'm not going to be able to. I don't have the technology. Just, I mean, agency is important, but it doesn't guarantee
1: success. No, there's no guarantee that, you know, there's no guarantee of success. There's no guarantee that human civilization will survive. Um, But as the problems get worse and worse for us, Uh, people are going to start waking up to them and they're going to to want to do something. So you're quite correct in that regard uh, that uh, catastrophes will probably prompt uh, greater action and greater reflection on, on what we're doing. I'm just trying to put together what the science is now saying about where the danger lies and what the opportunities are for overcoming the danger by early action. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm not preaching a utopia. I'm just telling you what the experts say are the things that we should do if we want to avoid catastrophes. Um, you know that I'm just simply trying to inform the discussion that is going on at national level at global level and so on.
0: But for people watching or listening who want advice for saving the 21st century to borrow from the subtitle of your book what should they do? Apart well, from reading- really-
1: Read what I've got to say, but go beyond that. The book references the main scientific papers uh, and, and journal articles. In this, if they want to find out the detail on anything, whether it's climate, oceans, you name it, they can they can dip into what's in the book, and it will it will provide guideposts to what the actual science is saying. So you know, don't listen to me; listen to what the scientists are saying. We need an evidence based way to actually manage our future. What we've got at the moment is a higgledy piggledy Chaotic sort of approach. And, you know, we, we, we haven't uh, developed a plan, a plan of action for the future. It is easy to do. That's what the book demonstrates. It's not as bloody difficult as it sounds. We can have a plan for the, for We can survive as a civilization. We can survive as a species, but we need to plan how to do it.